Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Um, this is our second episode of the week. Uh, it's our free-flowing, kind of unedited, you know, no script, no prepared notes or anything like that. Just a free-flowing conversation we're going to have for about a half an hour. Um, completely different than our segmented shows that are that are out on Monday mornings. Um, you can follow our Twitter account at the 94 Feet Report, which is our site-wide Twitter account, and you can check out our site at 94 Feet Report. Report.com. Before we get started and before we start talking with Corbin, um, I want to mention our T Public store. We have a lot of great NBA merchandise on on there online. Um, some of it was recently on sale for $14 and uh, it will go on sale again later this month. But of course, you can always get things for pretty cheap prices. So you can get take care of your holiday shopping by yourself, something fun or nice um, by someone else, maybe an NBA fan in your family, a really cool NBA design and also help out our show and help out our website. So we have the link. I've been tweeting out the links and the link will be in the episode description of this podcast as well. And you can find it on 94feetreport.com. Um, but enough rambling, enough plugging. Uh, Corbin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Eric. Pretty good. Can't really complain. <laughs> That's good because uh, I know someone who can complain, and that would be one David Fisdale. Um, he was obviously – by now everyone knows that he was fired by the Grizzlies who have lost – I think it's nine straight now uh, after losing to the Spurs and Marcus Aldridge went off for 42 points last night. Uh, we're recording Sheesh. on uh, Thursday, November 30th, by the way, and you're going to listen to this on Friday, December 1st. But uh, So – the Grizzlies have lost nine straight. They fired Fizdale after losing their eighth straight on Monday. And it was funny because I was that Monday morning, I was listening to uh, Dunked On 15 and 60 um, Western Conference, and they were talking about the Grizzlies struggling. And, and Nate brought up, you know, just the just the stretch of an idea that Fizdale, you know, maybe could be fired in the future of the season or maybe in the offseason. But he thought it would be crazy to fire him now. And then literally like four or five hours later, I'm just sitting in one of my classes and I get this the Waj notification tweet that the Grizzlies have fired Fizdale and I had to check his Twitter account I checked it like three times to make sure it was the it was actually Waj it was had the blue check mark it was verified and everything because I could not believe this firing that it was so sudden and just so shocking and not I mean I think everyone would agree it's not the right move and I know you've had some passionate thought about thoughts about it so I want to get your thoughts on the firing yeah man I I I don't get it I, I really don't get it when I first heard it I was I was angry I was like seriously I figured it was a power play of Marcus Gasol, and I'm not saying that he went out and and orchestrated it like LeBron James or David Blatt in the sense of oh, you know I, I want this guy gone. But clearly, you're a star player, your team is struggling. Your 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 goal should be to continue with fine play, which he hasn't had this season, but to to lead by example through his play, rallying his players together in the locker room. And if you have any issues with the coach, take that up during during. A private time after the game in his office. Don't go through the media. Oh, I'm so angry, more angry than I can feel. The, the coach should know that. You know what I mean? And for that to happen, I feel that obviously wasn't uh, – thinking about it now, it wasn't the one move. It wasn't like um, the one move that made every that made the house of cards fall, but it was the straw on the camel's back. I mean obviously he'd had some poor rotation decisions Um the Grizzlies thought that the eight-game losing streak was bad enough, and they obviously have higher aspirations than, I guess, anyone else in the NBA thinks they do. <laughs> so that, I guess that was a reason, too. But I, I didn't see the rationale behind it. J.B. Bickerstaff's going to be a better coach than David Fisdale. Moving on. Is that what the ownership's thinking? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'll t- I'll answer that for you right now. Uh, no, that will not be the case. <laughs> uh, anyone you who, would know. Anyone who who 
closely paid attention to J.B. Biggerstaff when he was also the interim. It seems like he's going to be destined for just taking over interim jobs. That's what he's, his career is going to be, probably. Um, he took over the interim job for the Rockets in 2015-16. At around this point, I think the Rockets fired Kevin McHale when they were four and seven. So it was, you know, similar around this point, maybe a little bit earlier in the season back then. And he took over and, and he just was, I mean, it's, it's tough because again, he was back then, he was just forced to be in love. He was, he was just forced to play the veterans to make the playoffs. I was like, they had to make the playoffs and they squeezed in at 41 and 41, but he played Corey Brewer way too much. He played some weird, funky lineups, didn't play Capella enough in the playoff. It was very strange and it was very disappointing to see because up until that point, I was really high on bigger staff. I thought he was the next, you know, good head coach when he once he got the job. And so when they fired McHale, you know, I was obviously kind of disappointed and, and surprised at that. But then I realized, you know, this is Bickerstaff's chance. And I was excited back then. And then I saw him coach, you know, about, about <laughs> 70 games of the year. And it was not impressive at all. He looked befuddled sometimes. He just didn't see – he seemed out of it. And maybe he's more comfortable now. But, I mean, they lost – usually when the team fires their head coach, they usually come out strong the next game to prove it, like the Suns did earlier this year. And the Grizzlies still lost to the Spurs. And obviously the Spurs are a good team. But they didn't really come out with that fire. So – and obviously they're really shorthanded. Um, so there, there are so many fascinating aspects of this firing to me. This is like kind of the, the – classic example of you know when your star player or at least one of them but especially Marcus Sol in this case does not really get along with with the head coach because there was that report that came out I think it was yesterday that that they had not really spoken in like eight months or something like obviously they'll talk wow. like obviously they'll talk as like coach and player like you know doing this play or making this adjustment but they had not like talked as a you know as humans like as on a human level for eight months I think that was the report um, and then there was also this thing that Marcus Sol did not like how Fizdale just came in and like started making so many changes to the offense and you know everyone you know praised Fizdale for kind of modernizing the Grizzlies and and they needed to be modernized and Fizdale did a good job of it last year for to an extent you know he brought Zach Randolph off the bench provided more you know spacing more modern kind of NBA offensive style um, people praised him for that but apparently Marcus Sol was not happy with how Fizdale just came in and like you know started doing his own system and they had some clashes and you know obviously eight game losing streak does not help and and so Marcus Sol obviously that benching with his that his public you know criticizing of the coaching staff really kind of and the, and, the, and as you mentioned the owners having those aspirations of becoming a playoff team and meanwhile most people would think that that's pretty crazy especially after this losing streak especially because Mike Conley's not going to be back for you know another two to three weeks was the report that came out yesterday um, which just disappointed me on a number of levels one because I like Mike Conley and two because I have him on my fantasy team so um, that annoyed oh, me a man. lot um, but yeah it's so interesting because I mean, the owners made the the comment yesterday that they have absolutely no plans to rebuild and trade either Gasol or Conley. They they said they have absolutely no plans to do that. So they think that by that firing, yeah, because they think that by firing Fizdale and like kind of pleasing Marcus Gasol and still keeping the same team with JB Bickerstaff taking over, they think that's going to be a significant enough change to completely turn around their season and make the playoffs in the West and. You know, the Grizzlies are even lucky that they still have somewhat of a chance because if the Clippers and Jazz hadn't been dealing well and the Nuggets to an extent hadn't been dealing with all these injuries, the Clippers, those teams would be much better than they are now and probably would have already, you know, killed any chance of the Grizzlies making the playoffs. But because of the Clippers, who we'll talk about after this, and because the Jazz are dealing with injuries and the Nuggets without Paul Millsap and stuff, the Grizzlies still have a sliver, sliver, small sliver of a chance to make the playoffs, which is still pretty crazy in the West. But... I'm as dumbfounded as you with the signing, with this firing. 
Yeah, I, I I don't understand what they're going for. As you just said, even in the immediate term, let's say, oh, they're going to write the ship. You played the Spurs. You have another game against them. Then you have Cleveland. Then Minnesota. And then maybe a game in New York, if you if you want to give them that. New York's been playing well as of late. Then you have a home back-to-back with Toronto. And then you have Oklahoma City. Take that for data. Like, <laughs> like that, that's right there. I, I don't get it. And I have a question for you. What do you think of Gasol from this whole incident? Because... I've always thought of him as a moody, temperamental player, obviously very talented, even if he's had a bit of a down year. And for me, the Fisdale situation is almost as if Fisdale was saying, hey, it's going to be me or him. Not saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that they were going to trade Marcus Gasol, but hey, either I'm going to be in charge of this team or Gasol is going to be in charge. And obviously Chris Wallace and the Grizzlies said, hey, it's going to be Mark that's going to be in charge. But you're 32, going to be 33 before the end of the season. You have had just a very down year by, by your standards or anyone who's seen you play the last four or five years. You haven't really had the the leadership that the Grizzlies have been looking for. Otherwise, you wouldn't be pounding at the end of the bench and having all these statements post-game. And yet, you get, you get to call shots, so to speak. And even though he wasn't directly involved in the firing of the coach, he, he was in charge of that. But it's not even a LeBron James level where, yeah, LeBron James got David Black, forced him out, and David Black was... A pretty good coach. I mean, he was, what, leading the Eastern Conference when he got fired? And he <laughs> yeah. made, led them to the NBA Finals last year. So, yeah, we get that. But LeBron James, LeBron James. You know, if he was playing like, let's say, this year's Dwayne Wade, but with the big-name personality of, oh, I'm LeBron James, you know, then it'd be an issue. But he was, you know, superstar as always. So, yeah, we gave LeBron James some flack for it. But, I mean, you saw the end result. But in this case, I, I don't understand Grizzlies' ownership picking Gasol over Fisdale in that sense. Even some, even if it's symbolically, and that, that's why I'm looking at Gasol with a lot more of a of a little beady eye. You know, I'm looking like, hmm, okay, I don't really know what you're about now because that to me made no sense. And you're, in my opinion, downgrading from a coach because of your whims and your inability to be coached. And that's how I'm looking at it. But I want to hear what you feel about it because maybe I'm a little too strong on it. Yeah, and it's tough. I I don't. It's. I mean, obviously, it's hard for anyone to kind of speculate because we aren't behind the scenes we don't know what happened like you know people basically assume that Harden went to Daryl Morey and said fire Mikhail we don't know for sure but people have basically assumed that we don't know if Gasol directly said you know it's either gonna be me or it's gonna be him and get rid of Fisdale and obviously they just listened to Gasol and they they got rid of him we don't know if that's true I think that I think that while he might have not actually done that direct of a thing he might have just been giving the hints like all right, come on, like, it's it's going to be me or him, like, come on, this is this is losing streak is unacceptable, I mean, we don't get along, you know, and I'm talking about Gasol and Fisdale, you know, we don't get along, you know, mm-hmm. this my, probably won't work for the future, and I'm still here for, like, another two or three years, and I'm your star player, blah, 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 so make it make a choice, he probably huh? said, he probably said make a choice. Um, okay, so, so, yeah, we just got a little interruption there, but as I was saying, um, I think that Gasol might have gone to the ownership and just been like, you know, we don't get along. This probably won't work. You still, and he probably was talking to ownership and, and management saying, don't you guys have aspirations to make the playoffs? Like, you've got to do something about this. And their ultimate decision was to fire Fisdale and <laughs> replace him with uh, Bickerstaff, which I don't think is the right move. And it's interesting because 
it's it was Fisdale's second year. Obviously, he'd barely been there for more than like a year and a half as coach. Um, he w- did a good job last year. You know, he modernized the offense. They were they put up a tough fight against the Spurs in the first round. Um, this year obviously was a struggle, but you know they also just didn't really have the talent this year. Like without Conley and Parsons playing very limited minutes, um, the Jermichael Green has missed the majority of the year so far. Gasol's efficiency is way down. Like they just don't have the NBA talent to compete on a night to night basis and win as much as they want to. They've just got to face the facts. And, you know, a team like the Clippers also has to face the facts too. And we'll get to that in a little bit as well. But sometimes this, these management and, and ownership groups just don't really face the facts and reality about their own team. And that kind of hurts them when making decisions. And, and this is a decision I think that'll hurt them because even if Fisdale is not the right coach for this kind of core led by Gasol, Gasol's 33. Um, how much longer do you think he's really going to be the key player of the team or even around on this team at, at all. And, and Fisdale really could be the coach to, to kind of shape his, shape the next core and he can implement his system, really get it comfortable in the franchise. And then the next core comes in and they, and they, you know, draft and, and, and sign players based on Fisdale's kind of, you know, uh, desired play, a desired strategy. And then Fisdale, I think, is the right coach for their future, for the next version of the Grizzlies. So even if Fisdale wasn't the right person or coach for this ideal Grizzlies core, and it sounds like he was for the, every else, everyone else on the team except Gasol, but even if he wasn't the right coach for this current version of the Grizzlies, he probably is one of the best options for for the future in terms of the next version of the Grizzlies or the next version of any team because he's young, he hasn't gotten much coaching experience and he's fresh, he's got a lot of ideas, he seems energetic, he'll stand up for his guys, obviously that memorable press conference. So but by by firing him now just because you want to make the playoffs in this in this year, which already looks like a lost year, you're kind of just almost just sacrificing on the future because I I mean Bickerstaff probably will not be the fu- the future head coach and they're going to be looking for another head coach now um and and that's just going to throw things even more into chaos and you know, signing, you know, they're, the way they treat coaches can kind of scare off some players as well. And obviously they have almost no cap room to sign players anyways. Um, and then finally, I mean, I want to get your thoughts on this too. And my thoughts are that Marcus Gasol's trade value is at like a, 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 probably the lowest it's been in, in like four or five years. I mean, he's 33. Last year he was really good. He was an all-star obviously, but this year his efficiency is way down. I mean, he's still putting up 18.6 points, nine rebounds and 4.3 assists per game, but his efficiency is, is way down. Um, and he's just not been as valuable on a, on just contributing to win basis. Um, the, and, and you, you've got this 33 year old signed to a uh, max contract. Well, max contract when he signed it. So it's not, you know, ridiculous, but it's still over 20 plus million a year. 33 years old. Um, at some point, his mobility is, is losing out. I mean, he can't really get onto the perimeter anymore. His three-point shooting is down. I mean, the trade value, I think, has, has fallen significantly where maybe you could get like a first-round um, first pick that's not in like the top 10. But you're not going to get like – you're not going to – like I've seen people like propose Twitter trades like Jason Tatum and a first-round pick. Like, you're not going to get that from Marcus Saul at this point. You're probably going to get just a first-round pick, and it won't even be that good of a, a first-round pick based on his age, injury history – and his skill set kind of just declining. Yeah, very much so. And that's what I was thinking as well, because it's easy to say, oh, you know, what about, you know, Marcus Gasol to Cleveland or something like that. But realistically speaking, that balloon contract that he has is going to pay him, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just something crazy at the age of 35. I'm forgetting the exact numbers. I wish I had kind of thought about that. I'll, but, I'll, I'm going to pull it, I'm gonna pull it up right now. So. Okay, cool, cool. But to think about that at age 35, when – 
I'm not saying he's declining now as a player just from statistics from last year. I don't know if this is the beginning of that decline, you know, that the players get. But you have a big man who has been coming off some foot injuries. He's temperamental. You know, he, he gives you some good numbers when he's on, but when he's not, it can be rough, especially if your team isn't winning. And the value for him is low, especially when he is going out and giving quotes as he did before Fisdale got fired. You know, how miserable he is or how angry he is. Nobody wants to hear that. You just don't, you know? And especially for a team like Memphis, when you're down and out and you're playing different people in positions where they shouldn't be, you're giving Mario Chalmers, a guy who wasn't even in the NBA last year, major minutes, you know, to fill up a player of Conley's caliber. You you have these the, this sort of standard that you would hope your franchise player would be. At this point, I mean, in my opinion, Marcus Salt shares that franchise tag with Conley, but you are part of it, so you need to represent that. And, and you, as you said, there really isn't anywhere for him to go in, in a trade that will give Memphis equal or even um, adequate value. So, so that is something to keep in mind. But looking long term, and this it's obviously a, a, a win for the main or the franchise player when it comes to a franchise player versus a coach. But to me, Fizdale, as you said, was going to be the coach that was going to make that transition from the green grind to a newer evolution of basketball for the Memphis Grizzlies. And now we don't have that. We have J.B. Bickerstaff, who is at best a ladder move, at worst, you know, a worse move. Yeah. And you can't expect him to rock the ball. I mean, I saw him in Houston, you know, just occasionally because I'm very interested in NBA train wrecks, and that was the year, 2015-2016. But he, he didn't really make any major adjustments. He didn't make any adjustments. You know, he, he kind of just kept it the way it was. And as the season went on, you wondered why he didn't bring in you know, younger players or less in minutes loads or a myriad of things that he didn't do or things he could have done. So I don't expect him to make any changes here in Memphis. But Fisdale was already instituting those changes. You know, and whether Marc Gasol liked or didn't like it, it was better for his career. It just made Conley that much more of an offensive weapon. And he wasn't just, um, what's the word, a game manager, as, as people say, with like damning with faint praise. Yeah. So... Just on that level, if anything, you know, he could have done rotations better. He was giving players who really didn't deserve to be on the court way too many minutes. But when you don't have a lot of players and, you know, injuries are hitting you and you're struggling, I kind of see where he was going for. Yes, not the right decision, but I could sympathize with it. But, yeah, man, Marcus all I don't know, man. I have so many conflicting opinions about him. And what's sad is when I used to cover him, I, I was all about him. You know, an egoless player who was starting to find his range and, you know, just had eyes behind his back. Not not exactly a Jokic, but, you know, he was – he's still, I think, a top 10 center, if, if number 9 or 10. But he was like a top 5 center, what, three years ago, you know? I mean, even last year – as far back as two last year, yeah. I mean, last year he was, you know, he added that three-point shot at a consistent rate. Um, he looked refreshed. He was an all-star. I mean, I just pulled up his contract. So this year he's making twenty-two point six million. Next year he'll be making twenty, a little over twenty-four million. And then two thousand nineteen twenty, he has a player option that will pay uh, twenty-six million, which you'd expect at age thirty-four, turning thirty-five, he'll probably take that player option. So, mm-hmm. so he's under contract foreseeably for two more years after this season, um, and and I think I mean, you you always are cautious to write players off. You know, I thought I mean a lot of people thought last year going into last year because he had that knee surgery like two not this past off season but the the off season before he had that knee surgery because of that injury the the year prior. So people were like, oh, he's going to be thirty one, thirty two. He had the knee surgery. He's going to be pretty bad, or he's going to be you know declining. And then he has this great all star year, and now this year. He's declining when you expected him to be kind of similar. So it's hard to write players off, but I it's hard to predict him, you know, getting back to that all-star level for the future. And, and that contract isn't 
absurd when you can compare it to others, but it's it's very expensive, obviously, for a team and maybe for a guy who won't be at an all-star level. I mean, that's an all-star level kind of contract. So we'll see. It makes his trade value very hard. Um, it, it, it's just, it, I mean, it's tough. I think that they sacrificed their future for a very, very short-sighted, we have to make the playoffs this year, even though it looks like a lost year kind of thing, because Conley's going to be out another mm-hmm. two to three weeks. Gasol's efficiency is down because now every teams can focus on him so much more. You you you, ex, you would expect that Tyreek Evans will kind of regress to the mean, at least shooting wise. I think he's still shooting over forty percent from three, which is nothing he's done in his career. Kind of says that that's who he is as a shooter. So if Evans comes down or regresses to the mean, Parsons had that has aggravated his knee injury in that same game where Gasol was benched. So you know who knows what his the rest of his. Season Season looks like um, it, it's not looking pretty. I think that obviously it's hard to tell a team to rebuild and blow it up, but I mean, just to kind of just to just to not even entertain the idea of potentially trading Gasol or, or Conley or even other players. Like maybe they they should probably start thinking about trading Evans this year because Evans having such a good year can actually contribute to a team looking to make the playoffs or looking or a playoff team looking to make a deep run. And they can actually probably almost as much value for Evans than for maybe Gasol. Um, and so I would, I would explore looking at trading Evans or any other kind of guy who's been playing well or can contribute to a playoff team because you've got to sell off what you can and Evans is helping boost his trade tremendously and you got to capitalize on that. So do uh, you have any final thoughts on the Grizz or the Fire before we move to another Western Conference team in uh, disarray? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I, I just look at Memphis ownership and management. And I just ask myself exactly which of the Grizzlies problems are you solving by doing this? And as of yet, I haven't been able to find an answer. And I guess that just sums it up. We'll see how it plays out. But yeah, Eric, I, I'm lost. I'm lost, man. <laughs> I, understandably. And so that, that that second Western Conference team in disarray uh, that I was talking about were the uh, are the Los Angeles Clippers. Now they are eight and eleven, so they've turned it around with a couple of wins in the past week. But obviously, the big news is Blake Griffin going down with that strained MCL. They say recovery time up to eight weeks, so he's probably out two months. And I think that confidently puts the Clippers' playoff chances almost to you know zero percent. I mean, now now they really should start looking at. What can we get for DeAndre Jordan? What can we possibly get for Lou Williams or something like that? Um, potentially, I mean, maybe an interesting trade, and, and uh, it was the the dunked on podcast that brought it up, would be trading Patrick Beverly to the Sixers for Jaleel Okafor, and maybe the Sixers throw in a sweetener of, of a, another wing player like a Justin Anderson or, or maybe a second-round pick or something because for the Sixers, I love that trade because Beverly, if he can get healthy next year, he has a non-guaranteed contract. It's like $5 million, and if he if he is healthy, he's a perfect point guard for the Sixers, especially alongside Simmons and Embiid. Um, and for the for the Clippers, I mean, what's the point of keeping Beverly? He will be 30 years old next year. Um, you know, you can trade him and, you know, get Okafor a young player. They can actually play Okafor now that, you know, Blake's out and they don't really have many quality bigs, especially if they trade DeAndre Jordan. So just getting Okafor, seeing what they've got, seeing what's left of him really um, in terms of potential and value would be very interesting to me. Um, but I think that that's the kind of, they have to have that mindset now of, of who can we trade? What can we get back in return? You know, do we continue with Doc Rivers? Um, you know, it's at this point, I think Blake Griffin's injury, along with Gallinari's injury, who still not hasn't returned. Teodosic is still not back. Um, obviously, Beverly's out for the year. I mean, I predicted the Clippers to make the playoffs before the season started, and and you know, I was just hoping that maybe Blake and all the Blake, Beverly, Gallinari would all play at least like sixty-five games. But uh, it looks like. That's not going to be the case. It looks like, obviously, Beverly's not playing that. Blake, out two months, probably will play like 60, 55, 50 games, depending on how he recovers. Gallinari, too, dealing with these problems. So 
obviously I, I understand why people didn't pick them to make the playoffs because of the injury risk um, and, and it's turning out to be true that, that that injury risk was just too much to, to not overlook or to overlook really um, and it, it's biting them really hard this year it is and as you said with, with, as soon as I saw Blake Griffin go down Austin Rivers just clumsily fall on top of him. And by the way, just on that note, that was that was I'll have to say that was weak for Doc Rivers to even insinuate that Alonzo, directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. may have caused that injury. Because Austin Rivers had absolutely no way of getting that ball when he decided to make a play on it. And if you look at the replay, I've looked at it a couple of times. Instead of looking at Dial, like, all right, man, you really trying to protect your son here. Because if you look at the play, at least Alonzo had a chance for it. Austin just kind of dove blindly, and and yes, the freak accident. In my opinion, it, it just was going to happen. You know what I mean? The ball rolls some way, legs go the other way, and that's just kind of how it is. And for Blake Griffin, it's unfortunate. But I just want to call a Doc on that. I, I, that wasn't that wasn't called for, man. But as soon as he went down, I thought, yeah, it's time. I didn't even know how long it was, but you could see the way the knee bent, and you could just think long term, especially with Blake Griffin. And so for me, as you said, it's time to blow it up. Lou Williams scored forty-two in that game. Hey. He'll get you buckets in a hurry. You bring him off the bench, that's instant offense. So mm-hmm. I feel bad for Lou because, you know, he was the Lakers and he got traded to Houston. Then he got traded back to L.A. So, you know, there is a human element to it. I, I kind of feel bad for him. But, yeah, you need to go, man. You got a talent that a lot of teams could use. And it would be kind of wasted on losing team as the Clippers are. You still have DeAndre. If you could put a, a, a Austin Rivers tax and get that money off your hands, I would yeah. try that too. I doubt you it. You know? I, I me as well just because of the amount of money and just because he can't really play i mean come on man but that's that's there it's fire sales time you know especially come trade deadline i say everyone's open yeah i mean, I mean yeah and that and that's kind of feeling if you do make that philly trade as you said that would actually be perfect because let's say you don't bring back deandre jordan and you have a center in the local for who you know you get a, a half a half season tryout um, and then you see what happens afterwards. And that almost like how the Mavericks did it, although just horrible results, <laughs> with Willis Noel. You know, you get that half season to, to see how he'd be. And then, hey, do we want to make him our starting big man moving forward? And I think that will be a great environment as you remake the Clippers. Obviously, somewhere in that scenario, I assume that Doc Rivers would have to go. Because, one, he doesn't do too well with losing teams according to him or rebuilding teams and two because at this point he just needs a fresh start if any but yeah it, you just got to take everyone look up and down and say hey we'll let you go hey we'll let you go keep the young players if you can i don't think a montreal's harrell or a sam decker being kept on the roster is a bad idea just to let them develop and get some heavy minutes and just consider this current incarnation of the clippers a wash you know yeah, and play the young guys. I mean, Decker should be playing more than Wesley Johnson, really, if you think about it. Especially yes, after, yes. Especially after they make some trades, which we think are inevitable. Um, just to run down the next, you know, ten or so games for the Clippers, they're playing the Jazz at home currently. Right now, they're about to start as we're recording. Then they go at Dallas, at Minnesota, in a back-to-back. Then home against the Timberwolves, the Wizards, and Raptors. Then a road trip at Orlando, at the Wizards, at Miami at San Antonio. So that's a pretty tough schedule there. They could probably go like three and seven or something like that. Or maybe three, I was about to say three eight, and eight. Yeah, if they're lucky. Yeah. And so, I mean, the rest of the month, you know, the rest of the month of December, they've got games against the Suns, the struggling Grizzlies, Kings, Lakers. But that this upcoming stretch up until like December 18th is, is a stretch that, you know, that could really, really kind of make it apparent that they have no chance of the playoffs. And once that is 
clear to them. Um, they have got to make some trades, get some kind of value back. Probably the most value you can get for Jordan. Lou Williams will be a free agent this summer, so that kind of hurts his value a little bit, but you can still get something back for him because he's going to help out a playoff team. Um, Jordan could probably get you know, some kind of decent return. Obviously, there were those rumors about the Cavs thinking about Thompson and the Brooklyn pick, which I think is too much. Um, yeah. But they could still get something of value for Jordan. Um, and then, you know, I, I, you can try for other players. Maybe look, look to see who wants Beverly and take a risk on Beverly for – because Beverly is a non-guaranteed contract next year. So, so a team could trade for him and just hope that he gets healthy. Um, and if he doesn't get healthy, it's non-guaranteed contract. So it's not really that much of a risk. And, you know, that Okafor-Beverly swap, I think, would be very, very interesting and beneficial for both teams. But obviously, good good ideas that we come up with probably don't ever get executed actually in real life. So well, I don't want to get too excited about that. <laughs> um, but it, it's sad because – I don't want to say I was rooting for the Clippers this year. I mean, they had a lot of they have a lot of players that I like. Like I really, I'm a really big Beverly fan. I, I like Decker and Hale from watching them on the Rockets last year. I'm you know I felt bad for guys like Blake and and, and DeAndre and stuff like that. Um, but it's just the injuries again, and and they had to know that you know. You know, Beverly always carries an injury risk because he's been injured numerous times throughout his his career. Obviously, Blake had the injury risk when they signed him to that max contract this offseason. Obviously, Gallinari has a huge injury risk when they signed him to that pretty big contract this offseason. So they knew that they were signing, re-signing or signing or, or trading for players that had huge injury risks. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, if I was in that position, what I've just rebuilt and I I think I probably would have. I would have probably seen the writing on the wall of even if we can get Gallinari and Blake stays healthy and stuff like that, this team is no more than like a five seed. But I mean the injury risk was was literally I mean it, it seems like it should have been flashing red in front of their eyes before each move they made this offseason. They just kind of t- turned off the lights and made the move anyways and thought, you know, oh, well, the best case scenario is that they stay healthy and we're like a top five C, but you have to always think about the worst case scenario, which is playing out right now, and we see what happens when that is the case. Mm-hmm. In, in my opinion, it, fire sale and tank. That's just start your own process, LA, because, yeah, it's going to be painful right now, and you'd be doing a lot of losing, but all this losing now would only lead to winning in June. You know what I mean? You have Marvin Bagley, DeAndre Ayan, Michael Porter. You could actually seriously start thinking about these players. In fact, you could probably think about these players even with the play- even if you didn't make a move right now. You could probably think about these kind of guys because you guys aren't going to win anything. But at this point, why not make these youthful get these youth out that you have on your roster, lock Wesley back to whatever bench he crawled out of, whatever deal he made with Doc Rivers in some back alley to get him started. <laughs> you know, put him back, put him back down, man. Because I remember from LA and Lord, I don't know about Wesley, but just do that because at this point you're right. There's, there, the window is shut on any playoff dreams and their ceiling is is very low like i don't even know what would be a best case scenario for this current clippers team like what would you think if they finished at 500 i mean i mean playoffs okay it's is out of question if, you they, know, if they kept yeah. the current roster if they can finish 500 withstanding this blake for two blake out for the next two months and who knows when Gallinari is returning? Or Tia Dosage could be out another three to four weeks, and Gallinari could come back and then get re-injured. If they can, if they can finish five hundred this year, considering their injuries and probably the risk of re-injury when any, any of those guys come back, that'll be probably considered a very successful season um, from 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 my perspective. But for obviously from ownership and management, it's probably really disappointing as they were probably expecting them to be a forty-five to forty-seven plus win team this year. But obviously, they probably didn't think enough about the. Um, worst case scenario happening and that's what's happening right now 
I think, you know, even when you decide to use these two teams as the focus of our podcast, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. Even when it comes down to just huge expectation that may not be entirely warranted. Because both teams are, I mean, the Grizzlies and the Clippers are probably going into the thinking, hey, you know, 45 to 50 wins, 50 being, you know, a very, <laughs> a very um, lofty proposition. But in that 45-47 win range, possibly get a 7th or 8th seed in the playoffs to see what happens there. And they went in with questions, looking up and with a lot of apprehension, but management decided to look the other way and say, hey, you know, best case scenario, A, B, C situation would happen. And obviously we have situation F, which is just the worst possible resolution out of it. And now both ownerships have to come to terms with hey, this is where we have to go now. And with the Grizzlies, we see what they're doing, and obviously we're looking at them going, okay, that's not how any rational NBA front office would go, but you kind of shoehorned yourself in this position because this is the roster that you wanted to have in the sense that you wanted to keep Gasol and you wanted to keep Conley. The Clippers are at the same crossroads, in my opinion, that the Grizzlies are, in which, A, you could say, all right, we've done what we could. Coming to offseason, we thought we could do a semi-transition from Chris Paul to this more free-flowing offensive nucleus, and it's not working out. So either A, we continue to weather the storm and see how our players can survive without Blake Griffin, without Gallinari, without Beverly for the year, or B, you know, it's time to break it down, fire sale, Jordan goes, Williams goes, and we just try to, you know, start anew. And that is going to be important for the Clippers, you know, in these upcoming weeks, because obviously they're not going to move tomorrow or this weekend. Who knows? The NBA, the NBA surprised me daily. So who knows? But it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward, because that will tell you a lot about where management is looking, you know, the next year, the next five years. You know, it's one of those short term, long term crossroads that ownership and management is going to have to take for the Clippers. Yeah, it's it's two basically it's two franchise fa- franchises facing a crossroads and and what they do over the next week week couple of weeks or months really up until that trade deadline it, it could decide the future of their franchise for the next three to four years um, if they can properly decide to rebuild or or maybe just kind of still force it to, to try and make the playoffs and salvage this season which we both agree would probably be the the wrong move but the decisions they make for the Clippers and Grizzlies two struggling teams in the West um, a conference that is actually struggling overall when you get past the you know the top five top five or so seeds um, but. Two franchises that face a crossroads and two franchises that took up this episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. We've got a lot more to talk about on our segmented hour-long show that we record on Sunday nights and is up Monday morning. We've got the Thunder Struggles, the Rockets and Cavs playing very well to talk about as well. So many things to talk about. We'll, of course, be back on Monday morning with that kind of longer, more traditional, segmented style of show. Um, But you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Sparrows NBA. You can follow the site and show on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report and check out our website, 94 Feet Report. Report.com. Uh, before we get out of here, Corbin, just throw out where people can follow you and find your work. All right, at Corbin Ford MBA, at 94 Feet Report. Try to get some stuff out there, but hey, follow me on Twitter, man. I'd be funny sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Everyone follow Corbin, follow myself and the show. Um, have a great weekend of watching NBA basketball. We'll be back with you guys on Monday morning. Take care. <laughs>